0: Okay, welcome to a special edition of the LFC Delaware podcast. Today, we're delighted to have uh, Simon Hughes join us, um, author of, amongst other books, LA, LA, LA. And There She Goes, which we'll be talking about today. Um, We're going to do all of our public service announcements and the rest in the next scheduled podcast later this weekend. It's uh, May 29th today, uh, which happens to be the anniversary, I think, of the Heisel. Disaster. I don't know why that came into my head uh, as a starting point. Um, We're going to be exploring with Simon um, some of his work, and hopefully getting some real big insights as to what's going on with the Premier League season, and uh, and maybe for Sean's benefit, some info on transfers. So, welcome, Simon. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. So, so without, um, so. We usually start with people. to go back to their first experiences of uh, supporting Liverpool, following Liverpool. Can you can you take us back there and we'll, we'll move on? Um, from- well, I mean, I, I I I can't remember
1: 1990. I mean, I, I was born in 1983. Um, for some reason, I kind of remember certain games in 1989 um, and 1990, But... Uh, early part, all the parts of 1990 but not the day they actually clinched the title. So, my sort of entry point to Liverpool was um, was in the early part of the 1990s in terms of match going, uh, and that was a, it was a pretty depressed period, you know, for Liverpool underground. Sooner, um, I mean, I, I'd sort of grown up uh, watching all the videos of, of of Liverpool in the 1960s, 70s, and and 80s, and I remember my dad just put me in front of the TV and watching a, a documentary about Bill Shankley and um both of my grandparents have passed away. Um or well, grand grandfathers have passed away. So he sort of became almost a replacement, you know, a grandfather in, in many ways. Like I just remember listening to this guy and just transfixed by his um his passion and and um his his love of football and that that's where it really started, I guess, sort of the early early nineties. And I remember speaking to my dad when they appointed Graham Souness, because my dad was a massive Souness fan. Absolutely loved him as a player. Um, you know, some Liverpool fans around his age would would say that Kenny Dalglish was his hero, but for my dad, it was it was Graham Souness. And I remember when they appointed him from uh, Glasgow Rangers, and my dad was like so happy about it, saying, "Oh, you know, this is he's the man to really take us on." and I've never listened to him about football ever since, to be honest, because, uh, you know, we, we sort of know how it went under Zunes. I mean, it was sort of the start of the decline at Liverpool. So, I mean, I, I've been quite fortunate to see Liverpool, you know, win more, well, nearly nearly everything there is to win, but um, certainly the entry point, it was it was a bad couple of years really for Liverpool. You know, it wasn't, um, the tendencies were down at Anfield and uh, the team wasn't doing well on the pitch. It was a big, Period of transition, um, and he never really matched up to the to the to the successes of the teams that I'd watch on 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 the videos that my dad had given me. So there was a lot of frustration there, really, and um, yeah, it was a bit of a strange period, really. I mean, there's a, there's quite a lot of people who you know a lot of lads my age will probably say the same thing that, that you know, sort of it sort of explains why at the moment, you know, there's the, the, the sort of the yearning to win the title. I've always wondered what, what 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 it would be like and how the city would react and I certainly never envisaged it being under the circumstances of a global pa- a pandemic. Um, and it feels bad to sort of talk about the frustrations around that because I understand there's a lot of suffering in the world. But, you know, um, yeah, I just, I just can't believe it, it sort of could end like this really, like this 30-year wait. It's, it's just quite a strange and... Um, a very, a very unforeseen way of of, of a conclusion of, of a long period of time, which is which is uh, entailed all frustration. But you no, know, it, it's been that says. I mean, it's not been a bad bad period really for Liverpool. I think people talk about sort of the thirty year wait, and you know they've won everything else. You know they, they've won the Champions League twice and been to to two other finals. You know they've been to four finals in, in that period, which is quite a lot really for, for any football club. So. You know, it hasn't been too bad, I suppose, and yeah, it's been been fascinating, really, the last few years, particularly working covering Liverpool and amazing side football. It's, you know, it's been a great period to be to be writing about it because of well, because of one man, really, Jurgen Klopp, who's really transformed the club, in my opinion.
0: So, so you you talked about uh, shankley uh, There's a lot. I've seen people draw a lot of comparisons between shankley and Klopp. Is that is that something that you? I don't know if you've written about that, but mm, that
1: a little bit. I did. I did. Um, I remember after the after Liverpool beat Roma um, at five two at Anfield two years ago, I, remember, I did write quite a big big piece at that time. I was writing for the Independent newspaper, um, although it was online. And there are there are parallels. I mean, you know, the, the sort of um, I, I think I think the word that I'd, I'd sort of use to to compare them is the conviction that they have. You know, what they say they truly believe in. I don't think. Um, Either of them sort of, uh, you know, said things that they didn't believe. And I think that's what makes them relatable in terms of, you know, the average person on the street or, or you know, a footballer who... Footballers tend to be quite sort of uh, paranoid people, I, I think, because so many people <clears throat> want something out of them. You know, like, it, it's... it's the, the demands on them are incredible. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's what makes Klopp... Um, such a special character, I think, because I think he's able to, to um, be honest with people. I think he's an honest person really. And I think that, that that's where the parallel is. And, and, and equally, you know, people talk about sort of his, his um, I guess his socialist views. There are some, some parallels with, with, with Shankley, although I, I sort of think that Klopp is more more of a liberal really than than a socialist in many ways. I think that, that, that drum has been banged a little bit too hard in the sense that there are certain values that he has which you would say are certainly link link back to that sort of Shankly-esque value but he's more of an open-minded liberal I think um, with a left-leaning liberal is probably the best way of putting it um, so yeah I mean he's it, just a, a force of nature really. I, mean, I remember when he the first you know when he, when he first came to the club and when he was appointed it just felt like uh, a weight had been lifted that day. I remember being in the press conference and when he walked into the room, obviously the, the cameras were clicking, but everybody else just felt silent. He was so tall, you know, that's the other thing. He, such a tall figure, sort of, you wouldn't want to mess with him really, you know. I, I, even though he's sort of obviously quite a um, jovial sort of character in front of the media. You know, I've seen the other side of him when he can be quite intense and aggressive and he's unhappy with something, you know, he, he will let you know. I think that's that that that's the thing about him. You know, he's authentic and believable. And um, for me, you know, without him, I don't think any, any of the stuff which is happening at Liverpool now happens necessarily. I just I just don't. I think the, the combination of him and Liverpool just just works.
2: Awesome. Good. How uh, right. how say how disenCHANTED uh, were you? about Rodgers at the time. I, personally, uh, I'm someone who's loyal to a fault and I, I thought it was a little bit odd that they fired him after the, the you know, the draw at uh, Yeah. But I guess in hindsight, my thought was that the, the reason they pulled the trigger then was so that Klopp wasn't snapped up by perhaps Chelsea or one of the other clubs that might have been about yeah, to make a change.
1: Well, with... Um... I think it was right to make the change but they had to get the right person in charge you know there's no point just taking a plunge into the darkness I think you're right there I think you know it's quite clear that Liverpool had been negotiating with Klopp while Brendan Rodgers was still in charge I mean it, the, the time, timeline of events it's definitely the case you know I know that for a fact I know football clubs get criticised when they line up managers to, um, to replace managers that are currently in work but you know in the day you know they've got to make sure that they've got the right person in charge coming in you know for me it makes very little sense not to do it that way really I think people get a bit too um, moralistic about that that issue you know the managers are paid handsomely you know to, to do their job and um, you know up until that point he's had more or less all the support that he wanted off, off the club really um, I mean I I, I feel with, with Rodgers that very talented coach who when he came in you know I know the first few weeks of training when he was that summer 2012 a lot of the experienced players were like saying this guy does it totally differently to any of the coaches that they would worked with you know Benitez who they the main two really said he's really progressive you know well liked the players at that point did like him but I just think that ultimately I think that that job came from a bit too soon in his in his managerial career. Liverpool job is like, it's one of the biggest jobs in, in football still. You know, it's one of the most sought-after jobs and the demands of the job particularly are quite unique because of the lack of success, you know, in terms of the, the, the league and the desire to win that league. And obviously he went very close to winning it, you know, and in incredible circumstances. I mean, if he'd have won that league, he would have deserved a lot of the criticism, a lot of the praise coming his way because... You know, that season, I know people say about, Brent, um, about Suarez, you know, sort of, was the focal point of that team, but, but Brendan Rodgers did help create that environment and set mm-hmm. up the team in a certain way to, to get the best out of Suarez, I, I felt, in a way that, you know, Kenny Daldeish wasn't able to as well, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, but then there's, there's almost the cut-off point in the season after, 18 months after, there's no doubt about it that that was a bad time, you know, they, you can't deny that, you know, that, Liverpool got a lot wrong in the transfer market, which didn't help Brendan. I don't think he had maybe the um, the, the, the the art of negotiation that other managers might have when they're working with other, you know, a, a big club. And a bit, every club is big club. It's like a, there are fiefdoms, thie- different people trying to control their own influences. I don't think he was necessarily quite as skilled at doing that as maybe you know he, he perhaps thought that he was. Um, and in the end, you know, I think it was it was right to make the change when they did. I mean, the the form at the start of that season had been was poor, um, and it, it wasn't just form; it had been you know a prolonged period of of struggle really. Um, and when you've got a manager like Jurgen Klopp who's available and open to coming to Liverpool, I mean, I I don't know whether you're into this, but that summer of 2015, I, I I spoke to Klopp's agent a lot. I wasn't really a journalist, I think you know who. He was picking up the phone, trying to get a feeling for whether there was interest there. It was very clear, very very clear that there was interest, but um, you know there had to be ultimately Liverpool that had to push that agenda. So uh, quite an interesting time, really. I mean, I think I think yeah, Klopp definitely wanted a rest, but you know football for him, I think is is a bug that you know young you only need so much rest before you get bored and. It was quite clear that that, that, uh, that he wanted to get back into football, but he could have gone to, you know, there were approaches from Chelsea and um, Manchester United before that. So Liverpool did have to work, you know, quickly and efficiently to um, to make sure that, the, that he came to Anfield. And it's, 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 for me, it's, it's the, the most important moment in the last 30 years, really, getting him as manager, because, as I said, without him, I, I, just don't, I think I know the club has, has improved off the pitch and, there are certain elements of the club that are stronger because, you know, because of certain things that have happened that maybe haven't been inspired by Klopp, but he he certainly pins it all together. You know, his his man management skills, his vision, his tactical awareness, his personality, you know, his level headedness when it matters, his passion, everything about him for me is um, you know it still feels fresh. That's the, that's the best thing that I can say about Jurgen Klopp is that you know, five years in, it still feels like exciting with him, doesn't it? It doesn't feel boring at all. It's not like we're seeing the same thing over and over again. It still feels like, for me, you know, watching Liverpool it still feels really exciting all the time, you know, and still feels like there's a lot more that can happen, you know, with him in charge. So hopefully he'll stay for a lot longer.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the quotes I liked was from Linders, who said that if this project is a day... We haven't got to a lunchtime yet. Yeah. Um, which I sincerely, sincerely hope is true. Yeah,
1: yeah it's it's true. I mean, it, you know, he um I've gotta be honest, I was quite surprised when he he signed a new contract, you know, just before Christmas because you know the indications were that, you know, that he eventually would would sort of um would, you know, sort of move on. But I think he's 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 smart enough to realise the situation at Liverpool is different to the way it was at Mainz and the way it was at Dortmund, you know. Liverpool, let's have it right they're a much bigger club than Borussia Dortmund, no matter what people might try and say. You mm-hmm. know, if you get it right at Liverpool, it means that you're not going to have your best players stolen by rival clubs. Yeah. You know, so and he's got it right at Liverpool. So Liverpool are in a position now where um, you know the, 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 they're going to keep the best players. You know, it's, gonna, it's on Liverpool's terms, and so he can build you know a another team on his terms, not by having. You know, clubs taking away his best players before they even reached the peak. So, I think that was a big attraction for him. You know that he he was able to 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 not just build one team and see this team's sort of developments, which could go on for a few more years yet, but then gradually build another team in his own in his own sort of um, image as well, which he hasn't really been able to do with other clubs. You know, so that's a different challenge. Again, I think whilst it remains fresh for him, you know. Um,
2: that you'll want to stay. I thought the contract extension and the timing of it was uh, was interesting right around uh, the election over there. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I think I read something that he said, well, we needed some good news amongst all this, uh, this not-so-good news. So uh, here you go, guys. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I think the one thing about Klopp is, is, like
1: he's very, very well informed about what's going on. You know, when, when, I, when I speak to people at the club, you know, he wants to know. He doesn't want to have a say in everything that's going on, but he wants to know everything that could potentially affect him and the job that he's doing. But equally, he's got an interest in in these things, you know, like, the you know, he's got an interest in politics. It doesn't mean that he thinks that he's right about everything that he says, but he, he's, you know, he wants to be informed. You know, he's he's, he's a smart guy. Like, he, you know, he... That's one person said said to me who's worked closely with him. Exactly that. That that like he, if he's working with a player, a member of staff, he wants to know everything about them so he can make the best judgments according to both them and him. And you know, I suppose if you're Liverpool's manager, you do. It's not just a um, it's not just a sporting role. It's it's a it's an ambassadorial role as well. I think you know you. Roy Hodgson found out very quickly that if you, if it feels like you're not on not just Liverpool Football Club side but the city of Liverpool side. I don't just mean in terms of sports, you know, with Everton included in that. I mean, like in terms of the city of Liverpool and what that city is, what the city has been through. If you don't show an understanding, you're gonna struggle as Liverpool manager. Really, you know, I think he he's done a lot on that on that front. You know, to to come to understand Liverpool a lot more because. I think when he came as manager, he didn't necessarily know everything about what has happened in Liverpool over the last thirty years. But um, I think he knows, knows a lot more now, and um, I think that that that's the thing about him—he doesn't claim to be the cleverest man in the room, uh, but he—you he, he know—you he, he can have a conversation with him about most things and on on a, on a, on a, on a reasonable level, you know. So um, it did come on a good day to be honest, because everybody was a bit gloomy in Liverpool. That morning and um fair play to them for, for getting that deal done quickly without anybody knowing it because about it because um you know that that's the way it should be, I suppose, even though I'm saying that from a journalistic point of view, so I'm probably contradicting myself a bit. Right.
0: So so we do at some point want to touch on the fact that you were the person who brought Klopp and Liverpool together. <laughs> that was that's the story, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: well again, I don't like I was I was a bit reluctant to put this story in the book. Um I spoke to you know editors about it and just thought well it is pretty you know quite remarkable period of time and uh, probably does deserve some coverage I suppose because as I said to you earlier you know that, that summer of twenty fifteen um it's quite clear that you know Brendan Rogers was was struggling you know I know he was was a, was allowed to to sack his assistant manager and get some new members of staff in but he um. It's quite clear to me that he was on dodgy ground, and you knowing that Jurgen Klopp was a was was out of work, I I just um just started a very simple phone call, you know, to to um to his agent who, who picked up the phone and just introduced myself and just said, look, you know, uh, what's the st- sort of state of play really? And over a number of weeks, you know, we had a lot of conversations just about, you know, it was quite clear to me that he was sort of fact finding, if you like, you know, sort of trying to learn more about the people at the club and who, you know, who who who's important to the club and who should be ignored maybe a little bit. And um, that became quite clear to me. You know, it, it was just sort of informal conversations about football, really, and the Premier League. And I know for a fact as well, you know, that there were other journalists who were having similar conversations. I'm absolutely certain of that. You know, that I wasn't the only one picking up the phone. I mean, agents are always readily available. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, he, he'll just talk to anyone. But it was it was quite a strange period really because we were having a conversation about something that essentially wasn't happening at the time. But um, I remember what the, the sort of the tipping point when things started to accelerate was when I, I wrote an article in the Independent on Sunday about like sort of where it's all gone wrong with Brendan Rodgers. And at the end of the article, I'd, I'd sort of had conversations with people at Liverpool saying, look, it's like, become quite clear to me I think that, that there's definite interest from Jürgen Klopp and if you don't speak to him at least give him if you're thinking about making a change and you don't speak to him I just you've got there's nothing down for you you know was just like it's just, I just, it just you, you've got to do it so more conversations led to, to, to the conclusion that, that basically you know there were a few people at Liverpool who were um, reluctant to ride with Klopp because of some preconceived idea that he was, you know, big character, you know, over, you know, controlling a little bit. But it's quite the opposite, you know, the, the reality of it. He's worked with a lot of, you know, with, with the sort of structure that Liverpool wanted to put in place. He'd worked in that structure at Dortmunds. It was a very strange sort of uh, view to take. So I just put this, you know, comment at the bottom of the article, you know, saying those thinking the clock might get the job, you know, um, might, might be left disappointed sort of thing and I remember when I wrote the article I'd written probably about 1200 words on Brendan Rodgers and most Liverpool fans picked up on the thing right at the bottom about Jürgen and Klopp and yeah. I still get reminded of it now like you were wrong about that it's like, well at the time I was pretty confident I was right you know that there was
0: yeah.
1: opposition to, 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 to potentially a belief that they weren't able to get him but anyway the long story short was over the next couple of weeks I was Calls going backwards and forwards from Liverpool saying, Why did you put that? You know, these are different people to the the original source, and you know, they sort of stood it up to some extent that that, that Liverpool, you know, were um, didn't think that didn't know at the time whether these have the reach to get them. I said, Look, if you don't pick up the phone, you know, I, I was almost, I just said, You've got to pick up the phone anyway. In the end, because Rodgers was still in charge, because um uh the agent was like, Look, I don't I'm not telling my clients around. You know, it's um he, he uh he he realised, you know, it's like you're, you're a journalist, you know. I could just get absolutely, you know, stung here totally yeah. so in the end I just said look, both sides, there's the contact details. at Liverpool I found it incredible that
0: yeah.
1: somebody in Liverpool didn't have the contact details for you club. I just said there's the details, just sort out between yourselves. And then within, I'd say, seven to ten days, that's when it started accelerating. That's when Brendan Rodgers got sacked, and that's when people stopped picking up the phone to me. So it's still, it was clear to me at that point, you know, that something was going on. Because mm-hmm. when people stop picking up the phone. It's always a sign of something. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were other journalists who had similar experiences around that time. Um, maybe not exactly the same as mine, but, uh. But, yeah, being, being, you know, very crazy period. I've still got all the emails and texts on my phone as well. So I'll keep them for safekeeping.
2: <laughs> Certainly a better story than you being the one who got us Roy Hodgson.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. And Clankley wasn't a part of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Christian Pears, though, that? And he and he.
0: I'm sure they deny it. It was like it was a mistake. It was somebody else, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the other guy. Um, so let's let's turn to uh, so so let's talk a little bit about how did, how did you get get into writing in in the first place?
1: Well, um, I live in Crosby, which is about six miles north of Liverpool, and um, I uh, I was probably about 15 years old and quite enjoyed. I don't know, I, 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 I sort of enjoyed reading about football and enjoyed sort of the, the, the coverage of football. And I remember I used to go and watch a local team, Marine. You were in the... I'm pointing over there as if you're just... I okay. know <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly where it is. Marine, And in the Northern Premier League and, and uh, they didn't have a, They had a reporter, but because... Um, the guy who, who covered Marine was, was sort of overstretched, shall we say, in terms of his work responsibilities. Um, they 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 were sort of asking around for some help, you know, with weekends, coverage of matches and stuff. And Because I went to quite a few of the matches, I said, I'm happy to do it. You know, it was unpaid work. But I just thought it's a foot in the door, you know, like sort of, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. And I just remember my dad saying, you've got to give it a go sort of thing and see whether you like it. And um, I mean, I've got to be honest, I didn't particularly enjoy it really at first because uh, I didn't know what I was doing. But nevertheless, when you see, sort of start seeing your, your your name in print on the back page and stuff, I guess there's a bit of vanity involved and you think, oh, I quite like this. And um, So yeah, I just sort of went from there really. For, for a number of years, I worked unpaid for local paper all the way up through university where, when I went to study in Sheffield. And um you know still still covered the team, started doing back page story news stories, all that sort of thing but um so that that went on and, and I, this was a key break really was when I got to twenty three a job came up writing for Liverpool and everton's match day program and magazine, and I went for it because i was i was essentially covering i started covering general news in in a place called southport um where my first Story I always remember was a UFO sighting, which sort of was a sign of things to come. Really, of the 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 level of story available in Southport. So when I got that job with Liverpool covering Liverpool and Everton, it, it sort of you know it was it was another in, you know, sort of in at the football clubs. Got to know people, and after a few years doing that, I got I got a bit like um, a bit restless and sort of realised I wanted to get back into you know, newspaper reporting, and then I started doing match coverage for the Daily Daily Telegraph um, and, uh, you know, just sort of matches that, that, that no other reporters wanted to do, really. So I did that for a few years and then the, the Independent came to me and said, look, we'd like you to sort of cover Merseyside for us um, because, you know, I, I, that was where my strength was, really, not, I guess, covering matches in Stoke and Derby and Leeds and Hull and places like that. So when that, that opportunity came, uh, I, leapt, I leapt at that, that opportunity and it, it, it was great. I, lo- I loved working for the Indy, but the Athletic came along last summer and it was just, you know, um, what they were trying to achieve was was something spectacular, I guess. And sort of, you know, not not in my lifetime working in the industry had, um, had that level of sort of investment being anywhere, a journalism. So I just thought, I'll regret it if I don't give it a go. And... I've really, really enjoyed it since. It's been really good company to work for and, um, you know, being allowed to sort of do the sort of writing that I enjoy and, and um, with a lot of freedom as well. So, yeah, it's been great to work for so far. Hopefully hopefully that will continue in this, this new world.
0: <laughs> yeah. Have there been any changes? Know, Tim, did you have a question, sir? before I want you.
3: Oh, no, he kind of answered it. I was going to ask, how old were you when all of this was starting, when you were starting to, to write for the Leco Club? It sounds like you were in, you know, just before university or...
1: Yeah, yeah, I was, I was sort of, I'd say that the, the sort of the, the markers were 15, yeah. 23 and 30, if you like, that's when I, I moved, you know, made, made big, I suppose, career decisions to go and where, you know, try and progress myself to some extent and... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's every every journalist will have different. I mean, it's it's quite a traditional route that I've taken, I guess. So sort of, been quite fortunate that I was able to work for the local paper, the Crosby Herald, you know, which doesn't exist anymore. You know, there was when I was sort of a teenager, there was still those opportunities to go and work. So to be honest, like that, that that was the most important job that I ever did. Well, I call it a job. I wasn't getting paid, but you know, I was doing the same things there that I do now, picking up the phone. You know, going to meet people, getting, you know, trying to get the manager to sort of open up to you, you know, players to trust you. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing, just matters to more people now. You know, like, I I don't think, um, I couldn't imagine Marine, there's a Marine, Delaware um, supporters group, put it that way.
0: (laughs) I, I think we did a poll. I'm not sure that more than 10 people would perhaps know where Marine yeah. was. So, but I'd be one of the 10, just to be clear. So actually, you talked about The Athletic. L- last weekend, we did an episode. We, we talked about Istanbul and the required reading for, the, for the, the, the where we did the podcast was the piece you and James Pierce did, which which I thought was absolutely awesome, the way you'd kind of pieced together all of the stories. Thanks. Um, so that, that that seemed like a, a really fun thing to have done, <laughs> but, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah well, I
1: mean, I, I've got to be honest. I I I enjoy writing about the contemporary stuff. You know, stuff that's happening now. Really. You know. Okay. I mean, uh, Um, and it's been hard, obviously, the last few months because there's there's no live football. You know, and it, so you, you've got to sort of. You've still got you know. Pages to fill, but you want to make sure that the what you're writing about is still relevant. And I guess you know, fifteen years since Istanbul makes it relevant. You know, it's it's an event. I think that um, it is relevant and now. I said this to somebody else the other day that when you think about like sort of what happens when it could be Barcelona uh, last last season, I don't know whether that happens without Istanbul. In many ways, you know, because. the same scoreline isn't it you know 3-0 I think as soon as it gets to 3-1 as soon as it became 3-1 I thought Liverpool were going through largely because of Istanbul because I just thought the power of the crowd and the belief it'll just crush Barcelona you could tell they were struggling already so it's a very powerful thing you know what happens that night and I don't think people quite realise you know in the same way that you know people talk about Man United and the late goals they always used to score it's no surprise that Man United's beat by Munich with two late goals, because that's what they did a lot in that period, before and after. You know, the impossible is sort of almost what Liverpool specialise in, isn't it? You know, sort of, you think that they're beaten and then somehow they'll end up going through. Or that has, and that's, that's what's happened time and time again. And I think Barcelona, so, uh, sorry, the Istanbul, people will remember that forever because of the way it happened. And it went harnessed in that way. You know, Liverpool... Can be unstoppable, and I think that's what Jurgen Klopp really tapped into. And that night, Barcelona was was just for me like sort of. As, as everybody was thinking about a lot of people were thinking about Istanbul. I think that night he didn't quite think it was it was possible. But when the first goal went in, certainly when the second goal went in, it was just like that's it. Now you know that that's it. They're going to go through. So um so yeah, I enjoyed writing about it. I, I did. You know, it was good. Me and James obviously know a lot of the players from that period. So. they were quite open to talking about it. And it's just, you know, at the moment, this moment, you know, when people, so there's a lot of negativity about it. It's it's nice to remind that, you know, just when you think you're beaten, just when you think, all hope is lost, incredible things can happen. I mean, as much as people try to explain Istanbul, I don't think it's still possible to. I mean, there's a combination of factors, but, you know, to score three goals in six or seven minutes against one of the great defences, including Paolo Maldini... I just, in the, in the a final, you know, just, you know, I don't think that'll ever happen again, unless unless Liverpool are involved, maybe. You know, so it was good to sort of go back. And I remember sort of, it made me watch the game back for the first time in a long time. And just, uh it still gives you goose pimples, just how that happens. I just, you just think, how on earth? That's what makes sport so great, and football particularly, you know, the unscripted drama, just, it was, um, unbelievable but that said, I mean for, for some strange reason for me I I actually um, I take more satisfaction out of the, the Barcelona win in, in some ways because for me Liverpool are a much better team now and you know as much as like it was a shock that Liverpool came back I still felt Liverpool really deserved that to be honest it was it, it wasn't a fluke Barcelona they, they deserved to go through that 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 that, 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 that round you know they, they played well away we very unlucky to lose by that scoreline, and I think they outclassed them at home and out fought them. You know, it was it was a comprehensive victory in many ways, and um, I can take greater satisfaction from that in some ways. I think because I was working on it as well and and, uh, had that challenge around it. I mean, to work on an event like that was just uh, a dream come true, really. It's what you go. That's why you go into football. You know, why why you want to become a football writer, I suppose. You know, to to work on the, the biggest games and and to be able to have your you know your, your impression and send it around the world and people read it you know just great experience and you know a, a day that I, I'll never forget anyway a night a night
0: I'll never forget. So a so, couple of things. One is if if you're listening and you want to read more about uh, Simon's experience the Barcelona game, it's here in LA LA LA, um, which uh, uh, is available in the US. Which which leads me to, I do want to talk about uh, the she goes before we we finish, yeah. Um, and because uh, you said before we started uh, recording that you in many ways found that kind of more pleasurable to write about uh, a topic that goes goes beyond much far beyond uh, just just football.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I do like obviously I love doing the football books, but if I can be totally totally honest, and this might not be the best thing to say, I mean. It, I only really started doing football books by accident really because to get to give me a bonus that I never got from work. <laughs> you know, for a long time, I went into it just at the point where there's a global recession and there's cutback, cutback, cutbacks. So I had to sort of try and find a way that um that, that, that you know that where I could I could sort of get a little bit more money to buy a house and this, that and the other and that's why I started to do it, you know. Even being totally honest, and um, I, I sometimes feel I might, I don't know whether I sometimes feel like I, I'd, I'd like to spend a bit more time on the books, you know, because um, on the football books, because I sometimes feel like I've rushed them a little bit. Maybe I'm just being too self-critical. I don't know. I'd possibly. Fairly so, I think. But
0: I still it, recommend reading the book. By the way, if you still, book, book.
1: Still, still read, still still all the books. I mean, right. very simple format. To, you know, the, the sort of each football book is like you know extended interviews with players from the time, with themes threaded through the interviews, and that was that was the idea. And I'm, I'm so happy that I've done them because it's given me a platform of, uh, and, and uh, I suppose to, to some extent, you know, a bit more of a reputation that I wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, in terms of writing, so. Um, but yeah, even being totally honest, they, they were always sort of they were originally done just to sort of give me a bit more experience as well, if is it a different you know a different way of writing, a different way of interviewing, and, and build more contacts, all those things added in. But the the, the, the there she goes book was done for different reasons. I mean, I am obviously from Liverpool, and sort of felt that, that there's a lot of um, uh, myths about Liverpool as a city and. I wanted to sort of really explain why Liverpool is the way it is and why people feel about it in the way that they do. I mean, so it, the book covers a period from 1979 to 1993, um, which is a defining period in my my view, you know, where you know, you've got the, the Thatcher government coming in uh, on a national level and uh, Liverpool is like, in that period, is never out of the news for for, for good and bad reasons, mainly, mainly bad. Um, and you know, off, off, you know, there's a certain number of flashpoints that happen in, in that period. So, I'm trying to explain Thatcherism and why that impacted on Liverpool so so drastically. I'm trying to explain the, the toxic riots, um, I'm trying to explain the heroin epidemic, why that happened. I'm trying to explain Heysel and the impact that that had on relations in the city. I'm explaining Hillsborough, I'm explaining. Uh, militants as well a militant council you know at the time where the whole of the country sort of swung one way politically Liverpool swung the other way and then there's it finishes on the very sort of a, a sombre story of, of James Bulger who was you know a young boy who was a two year old boy who was murdered by two um, 10, 11 year old children which he sort of um, was in 1993 and very clear in my mind very um that you know, dark days for Liverpool really, and that contributed towards an impression of Liverpool that I didn't ever feel was fair. You know, just you know, I remember watching the news in 1993 and people were talking about Liverpool in this way that I didn't think was accurate or the Liverpool that I had seen, you know, the Liverpool that I had experienced. I mean, I come from a a relatively, you know, um I would say my my sort of upbringing was sort of lower middle class. Like my parents were Working class, but I'd, I'd sort of worked long enough and hard enough to sort of afford a few nice things, you know, holidays and stuff. But you know, the other parts of Liverpool which aren't like that, but I'd, I'd experienced that, those areas through football really, because a football team that I played for would play all different areas of Liverpool, you know, play for some, uh, Sunday league football, schools football. And I remember at the time, like, I just didn't identify with the way Liverpool was being portrayed. and. I think, you know, a lot of people my age, I'm 36 now, sort of feel like uh, that was almost a fallout from the 80s and a lot of people my age haven't been able to speak about their place in in in, in British society or global society because it sometimes feel like people who live through the 80s, they're the only ones who can, can articulate what happens, whereas I feel like we left led with the consequences of it, so I'm trying to explain that for maybe a lot of people my age and the younger age groups mainly. It's, I'd say it's more mainly guided towards them. I mean, it's quite interesting. Sometimes there are people who are a bit older than me, and they were like, "You're too young to be writing that book." You know, it's that thing in Liverpool, like it's like. No, I, well, I, t- I totally disagree. Actually, I think in many ways I'm probably you know the right age to be writing the book. So um, I hope it. I hope it puts to bed a few myths and and equally uh, explains things that need to explain them with the context that's necessary. Because a lot of books have been written about certain events in Liverpool in that period, in isolation, without connecting all those events, which contribute towards this feeling. And that that, that 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 transcends onto the terraces at Anfield, this sense of resistance that exists at Liverpool. You can't separate... I mean, I know we joke before about politics and, and football, but unfortunately, because of Liverpool, you can't separate them. It, it's just impossible to, see. as much as people might want to, I think that Liverpool, politics and football, politics in Liverpool particularly, will always overlap um, for a, lo- a large number of reasons, but a lot of those reasons are, are, are sort of uh, centred in, in, in this period of time that I'm writing about.
0: So one of the things that I that I'm, sorry, speak as somewhat of an outsider, I think people in the U S that I talk to have a hard time understanding is why Liverpool is viewed in such a negative light by a lot of the rest of the country. Um, and it sounds like the, although the book's not right now available on Amazon, <laughs> when we get to read it, um, so, sounds like you go some way to explaining, uh, kind of why some of that hostility towards Liverpool exists
1: that's the intention really yeah I mean I I I, am as I said I sort of grew up in the 90s and left the city to to go and study in in the 2000s and so everywhere you go you you would be met by um, uh, people would certainly have a pre-set way of thinking about people from Liverpool and the city itself the way you know the economy of the city and the the spirit of the city and it wasn't always positive you know and I, I found that really draining actually even being totally honest I mean yeah. um and I thought you know particularly in the last 10 years I think that there's been a, a re-energising of spirit amongst younger Liverpool people who for a variety of reasons you know have sort of started questioning things a lot more you know I think there's no uh, coincidence that that that. that so sort of since the Tory government came back, and the city struggled again, that younger people have of realised and almost woken up a little bit to to the realities uh, and the and the, the struggles of the city. And yeah, I mean, I hope that this book just just sort of really contextualises the way people feel. Really, I mean, it's difficult to be definitive because everybody will have slightly different views, but. Um, <clears throat> have done it the best I can, and hopefully, you know the book. The book actually I, I had quite a small print run in the UK; it was available in the US, and I, 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 I had quite a lot of people, um, you know, getting in touch with me from the US. You know, fans as well, also, sort of, which was encouraging. You know, showing that people are uh, the back out you know people be able to, to
0: get a copy of it and um hopefully be able to take something from it terrific so do you, do you, do you have any idea when that might might be I, I guess it's in the hands of your publisher right did you catch that I think yeah, just,
1: just put a bit there. Sorry.
0: yeah i think we're having uh, just some problems there with the uh, connection. Yeah, just, w- w- I don't know if you have any idea when that might be, I guess, you know. Can...
1: There's been a bit of talking, um, possibly, it's either going to be awesome time or early next year, I think. So um, I'll keep you informed as and when that happens. I mean, uh, it be awesome. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, you can get it on Kindle at the moment if you read Kindle, but it's quite interesting. That I think 10 years ago, what already was saying, you know, it's got to be on Kindle, but it seems like a lot of people now are, buying books
0: again, which, which is encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we've kept you for quite a long time and really appreciate you doing this. Just once around, anyone got any final questions? I know mean, there's so much we could have <laughs> dived into in terms of there she goes. I, I, I could have talked about Jurgen Klopp all day. But let's start. Charlie, you have a question.
2: Well, just a comment. Um Sean is really disappointed at the lack of ridiculous transfer rumors oh. that we're hearing from you, Simon. <laughs> so if you could just pick it up a little bit, buddy, that'd be great.
0: <laughs> yeah, is
3: anyone from any from anyone from Brazil? Yeah. Sounds
1: like a bit of a stock answer, but um you now with with everything that's going on, I think you know clubs are still uncertain about how their financial outlook will will uh, will seem. You know, in a few months' time, which is making them quite difficult for them to make judgments about who to sign and how much to sign them for. I mean, Liverpool wanted very interested in Timo Werner, Timo Werner very interested in Liverpool, but you know, the, the reality is that the, the 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 pandemic is going to have an impact on football finances, particularly a club like Liverpool, which. Is running a real economic world, you know. It's it's not if 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 it's not making as much money through gate receipts, it is going to have an impact one way or another. Um, you know, there are other clubs, I guess, which which uh, might not have Liverpool for, for a long period of time. They can't just decide to, to change tact now. Um, and it's been successful for them. So, I mean, I, I suspect you know the once once we know. Uh, now we know that the football season is going to start restart again, which is which is obviously a good thing. Um, when we have a clear idea of when next season will start, I think it'll become a lot easier for clubs to make judgments on exactly what they want to do. I think you know, Liverpool at the moment are, are possibly sensing that you know, Red Bull Salzburg, uh, uh, Red Bull Leipzig, for example, are wearing it, Try and test the water and see whether they they'll take less money, you know, for. Them. Why would you go and spend seventy million on a striker when, in a few months' time, the economic landscape has changed, where you can you might be able to get him a bit cheaper? So yeah, I mean, I don't think we'll be seeing much, much really, until people, you know, clubs get this season finished. Really, um, it's it's an unprecedented time, so I can understand fans' frustration uh, and, and you know keenness to to find out what's going on. But you know, Liverpool uh, quite clearly want to Wanted to, to to beef up the, the forward line because of um, you know the the threat of Mohamed Salah and Shadi Almari not not being around winter time that they're going to need to find solutions to that. I think looks like Shakiri will probably go as well. So you know there's there's a lot of confidence in Riyam Brewster. You know young player who very talented player, been doing very well at Swansea. That he he can play a role, but. Nevertheless, you know, I think he's going to need more games uh, to be able to to uh, to do that. So, I could see him playing some more games next season. But um, I still would would expect Liverpool to to be at least looking to find solutions. But the the thing is, we don't know whether the, the, the Africa Cup of Nations is going to happen next year now because of evidence going on. So, all these
2: things are becoming quite difficult to plan. I think. Yeah. I that, think Liverpool's fairly well positioned with the you know the couple of loanies we got three I guess loanies out there who who could come back into the fold you know fairly uh, promising academy and youngsters and uh, well, that's it there's a, there's a
1: big um, you know, Klopp, Klopp if you had the choice um, you know he, want, he wants to use I think he gets a great satisfaction from seeing a young player. You know, going go, going into the team and making it, you know, making the position his own. I mean, a year ago, uh, nobody at the club really was talking about Nico Williams, the right back who I don't think any fan who's seen him play would have um would be concerned if he had to come in for Trent in a, in a league game. He's done so well in every single. I mean, he has a bit of a ropey period of the game against Chelsea, but otherwise, he's done very very well in all the games that he's played and. He didn't even go on the tour of the US last summer. You know, he wasn't invited on. So it just shows you, you know, the club is very prepared to respond to unexpected sort of progression following exposure to, to first team training and football. Nico Williams now, you know, looks to me to be a very, very good player for Liverpool who could come in at any moment. You know, you've got a good understudy for Trent. So there's a lot of players like that at the academy, you know, who might not make it. I don't know whether it excites people quite as much. It excites me. You know, I want to see Liverpool do that, but the players have got to be ready to play ultimately. You know, they've got to, This the, the standards of this team, this is the other challenge that Liverpool have as well, is that there's only a certain number of players in world football who can improve this Liverpool team at the moment, really.
3: Right. Yeah. You don't want to
1: just be standing players who, who are going to come in and not challenge, you know, not really push the quality that's already there. So, you know, in each position now, it's, it's there's only a certain number of players that be able to do that. So, let's not forget, it's a great Liverpool team that they've got there at the moment and, yeah. um, you know, good age as well. You know, the, the older players are all super fit as well. You know, James Milner, to me, I think he's had a really good season again. You know, doesn't show any sign of not being able to continue. The only, the only, the only thing for me that I sometimes wonder... You know, do they do they sometimes miss a player who can lock that pass in midfield? But then Curtis Jones this season stepped up to the mark in in, in big occasions. To me, looks like a really good footballer. I'd like to see more of him. Could be you know very uh, expressive, uh, sort of uh, interesting character as well. Which um, you know the more people find out about, him, I think that they'll be excited by him as well
2: always good to have another scouser on the team too.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to jump in and say, yeah, the, the financial considerations are, are obvious and it's fun to talk about transfers, but um, you know, we have a probably at least two to three year recovery ahead. I think a lot of people are missing sight of that. The economic devastation that's happened and that's going to have an impact on everything, but also that we have, we have a damn near perfect team right now. I Means it's arguably the best team in league history. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I I worry that Mane and Salah be missing, and that you know that could help someone close the gap if they have a season, normal season next year. But um, you know, like you said, it's it's difficult to find players that are going to improve this team. So
1: exactly, I I agree. I mean, I think um, it's easy to forget as well. You know, like sort of we don't see what Jurgen Klopp sees every day in training, do we? We don't see sort of the the rate of progression of these players. So. You know, I mean, obviously they're not doing too much training at the moment, but he is in the best position to make the call on what is needed, I think. I mean, he should have... I At best, this summer, I think Liverpool would have made one big transfer, and that one big transfer probably would have been Timo Werner. That's not to say that's not going to happen. Um, but he wants to keep the squad together. There's no need to go and sell players. You know, there's absolutely no need. I mean and there's no need to to be constantly like signing players as well I think yeah I think it's a really exciting time to be um, to be following Liverpool and uh, hopefully you know the fan base will be sort of understanding of the the sort of the the situation that everybody finds themselves in I I just think you need to take a bit of a step back and think about what they're, they're doing as a club and every decision that they make is going to have some sort of consequence at the moment so um We will see. I'm sorry, it's not the most exciting answer, but um yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's not many games being played as well, you know, at the moment. So, um pretty much all recruitment is speak to agents a lot, and there's not much going on, you know, like in most clubs really. I mean, one or two clubs will find a way to sign a player that they need. I'd imagine, you know, Man City are in need of. Uh, this will be the challenge, you see, because Man City, I would imagine, will go out and sign some players because you need to. You know, they're losing David Silva, you know, they lost Vincent Company last year, I haven't replaced him. Sergio Aguero is not getting any younger. They're going to need to find some long-term solutions for those players. Um, and that'll be when, you know, as you saying, look, Manchester City are doing Liverpool, are going to lose, try. you know, they're going to lose the advantage that they have. And I can understand that argument to some extent. But, um, but yeah, let's not forget, Liverpool are a very solid base at the moment. They don't need to make that many changes. I, I don't think they you know, they don't. People can keep saying, "Well, they need to, sooner or later they'll figure out this Jurgen Klopp team." I don't think that's going to happen, to be honest. Because the, the really mad thing about this Liverpool team is the the the, the threat really comes from the fullback positions. The attacking threat that is is most, and you cannot stop the two fullbacks because you have to most basically commit four players in your team to stop those two players doing what they do and they're so good I don't think it's easy to stop this Liverpool team so um, yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens but I, I, I'd have every confidence you know particularly with the way the season sort of looks like it's going to finish hopefully with Liverpool winning the title in the circumstances that you know these, these players are going to want to experience what it's really like to win a title for Liverpool you know like in terms of you know the, the madness of the city whether we're going to experience another night out in Liverpool for the next 12 18 months. I'm not sure, but these players won't want to win the title in these circumstances, I'd imagine. And Jürgen Klopp will turn that into a positive, I'm sure.
0: Yeah.
3: So just to clarify for Charlie and Tim, we're not going to go in for uh, Koulibaly
2: and Mbappe. I don't know. I don't know. If you read between the lines there, Sean, I'm pretty sure you could get Bali out of what side you said. <laughs>
1: I mean, he's a great player, isn't he, Koulibaly? I mean, I- each season, each game against Liverpool, I think he's been one of the best players on the pitch, you know, for Napoli over the last two seasons. But I do think, you know, the, the, the price that they will be asking for his age. Um, I mean, who knows? I mean, it, Liverpool have. The, the, there's an argument to say Dejan Lovren's days are numbered at Liverpool and Liverpool will need another centre back. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just not too sure whether. I'd imagine Liverpool club said not so long ago that you know that they're not looking for the next um, they're not looking for Kylian Mbappé they're looking for the next Kylian Mbappé so they'd probably be looking for the next Koulibaly as well I, I would think.
0: We've got to leave it there because I I I sense we're going to move it into dangerous territory if we're <laughs> talking about Dejan um, I'm rem- I'm staying on mute. Good 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 yeah. good. So I I, I apologize we, we ran way over in terms of your time. Uh, Simon but this was fascinating and despite the fact you downplayed like, your answer not being very exciting I think actually it was really thoughtful and I didn't see the gap for Koulibaly in there anywhere so it's, that's, that's, that's good by me. Thanks. Um, so, so thanks for joining us um, I'm going to stop the recording now.